Stone Cold Steve Austin will be the first man to enter the Royal Rumble. Uh-oh. I don't like the sounds of this. And the second man who will be entering the Royal Rumble will be Vince McMahon. I no longer desire a title shot at the Royal Rumble. Do I say Please, let him up! I want a title shot tonight. Okay, this is Rumble. Hello, everybody. Rory McNamara here at the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, finally giving you volume one of our January 1999 WWF show. Right. Let me tell you, fill you in on what we've, what's been happening or not happening so far. So, three weeks ago, we recorded our volume one WWF show for 1999, and quite simply, the audio wasn't very good at all. I had to cut out a good 20, 25 minutes of dialogue and even what was salvageable really is not the kind of show that I want to associate myself with. So before before we continue on this, I want to send my heartiest apologies to both Bob Colling and Adam Joyce. Their tremendous contributions on the original version of the show sadly lost, or maybe not, because in its best efforts and our, 
our Red Adair on our podcast, Mr. Chris White, did his best to try to save it one more time. I still don't think it was entirely usable for something I really want to go out as a full-time capsule, but some of their contributions are kept fairly safe. Maybe I'll drop those on Patreon one day. But I have roped in Dan Welling on his month off. Oh, yes. I hope I'm going to get paid extra for this. We'll talk about that off air. We're going to give you the January 1999 WWF show all over again from start to finish. We're going to look at Mick Foley. We're going to look at Rumble 99. We're going to predict or preview. No predictions on this show. Austin versus McMahon at our pay-per-view in February. And, of course, finish up the month with Sunday Night Heat. So without further ado, let's head back into the time machine one more time. And let's get you right up to date with the news. January 99, WWF. And thanks very much for sticking with us. This month in the WWF, there were no fewer than three world title changes. The first one, which took place on January the 4th, saw Mankind becoming the world champion for the very first time, defeating The Rock with the help of a returning Stone Cold Steve Austin, instantly one of the greatest moments in the history of the company, which we will talk about very, very shortly. The Rock won the title back in a brutal I Quit match at the Royal Rumble, and then, as we were recording the main show, Mankind won the title back again in a comedy match, you might say, at half-time heat. And yes, we did find time in the main show to talk about that as well. The Royal Rumble itself a dog of an undercard, a vicious title match, and a win for, why, who else? Vince McMahon. Yes, that's right. He last eliminated Stone Cold Steve Austin after entering at number two. Confused? Stick with us, and we will try to explain it all for you. One thing we can say is that the next night on Raw, Vince McMahon relinquished his world title shot, which of course meant that the man who came second Stone Cold Steve Austin is now the number one contender. Thank you, Commissioner Michaels. But Austin himself was not done there as he challenged Vince to a cage match at the next pay-per-view. As for Michaels, his career really very well might be over. For good this time. This is what he said to the San Antonio Express on January the 5th. It's a matter of looking at the risk versus rewards ratio. I need to start thinking about the second part of my life. It's time to say, that's a wrap. One thing is for certain is that in April, he will be opening a wrestling school with his mentor Jose Vitherio, but it might well be a very, very long time until we see him back in the ring, if at all. Following in the footsteps of Jesse Ventura and Hulk Hogan, Jerry Lawler announced recently that he is considering running for the mayor of Memphis. I'm not saying I'm definitely going to be a candidate, but I do think people would respond in a positive way. I have seriously considered it. I would give it a lot more thought before I put my name on the ballot, but his main asset would be that he's not a politician. The election date is October the 7th, so watch out for that. As the content of Raw gets ever and ever raunchier, the WWF have fallen victim of a school based in Winnipeg who um, <laughs> told them in no uncertain terms that they need to start calming things down. And the WWF Canada president, uh, Carl DeMarco, had a conference call with these teachers. What is going to happen is that when Raw is aired in Canada on TSN, there are going to be warnings and various public service announcements telling people what they will be 
or maybe not, allowing their kids to be watching. But will the WWF actually be toning down their TV product? No way, bro. The first Raw of the year opens with a recap of Vince firing Michaels as commissioner last week. Vince and the corporation come down to the ring to start the show. Shawn Michaels came out to interrupt and brought out DX with him. Michaels says he has an ironclad contract and the only way he could leave the WWF will be if he resigns. While Shawn admits he has no control over Austin's entry number in the Rumble, he does have control over Vince's and changed McMahon's number from 30 to 2. Shawn promised another surprise later in the evening. Steve Blackburn defeated Ken Shamrock after Billy Gunn interfered and attacked Ken. Shamrock and Billy brought backstage after the match. Mankind comes out for a promo. He wants to be number one contender and have a title shot at the Rumble. Vince said Mankind doesn't deserve it and books Foley against Triple H later in the show with the winner getting a spot in the Rumble match. And Shane McMahon is the special guest ref. Mark Henry and Goldust ends via DQ after China distracts Henry allowing Goldie to hit Shattered Dreams. Test of the Godfather go to a no contest after Vile ran in and brought with Test. Triple H defeated Mankind with Shane as special ref after he kicked Mankind's hand off the ropes and made a fast count. Hunter hit Shane with a pedigree after the match and left him at the mercy of Mankind, who put Shane in a submission, bringing out Vince and his cronies. Mankind threatened to break Shane's shoulder unless he got a title shot later in the show. Vince granted the match, so Mankind let Shane go. Edge vs D'Lo ended in a no contest after PMS came out and Terry fell off the steps. Kane came to the ring with Shane, Patterson and Briscoe. Shane announced that Kane would be facing Briscoe and Patterson, who were destroyed by Kane. Kane went after Shane, but Vince stopped him with a threat of, you'll go back. Rodog defeated Al Snow in a hardcore match that ended when Rody hit a pile driver on a crate for the pin. We see Sean with DX backstage. Sean left saying he had a plan for Vince and would be back, but Sean had been locked out and realised he'd been set up. We head to a break, but when we return we see Sean has been attacked, lying with his face having been smashed through the windscreen of a car. We see footage of the corporation approaching him, but no footage of the actual attack. So then Dan, the first Raw of 1999, pre-taped six days before, a pretty lacklustre, substandard affair with not much going on, yes? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could have tuned out at any point, really. There was loads of stuff going on in the other show. So I t- <laughs> listen to volume two for that one. So I'll tell you what I'll do, Dan. Why don't I just pick out, I don't know, two things at random that happened on that show and we'll try to make something of it. What do you say? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Okay, so how about this? We've got a match. I mean, it sounds vaguely interesting. Uh, for a shot in the Royal Rumble match itself between Mankind and Triple H. Maybe we could make something of that. Yeah, so uh, Mankind and Triple H having a match, and uh, Triple H wins and says, uh, Mankind's out the Rumble, and says, oh no, what's going to happen? So what does he do? He just uh, kidnaps the boss's son, <laughs> locks, him in a, locks him in a submission hold, and goes, I want uh, The Rock at the Royal Rumble. Actually, no, I want him tonight. And under his son's duress, Vince McMahon agrees. So we are going to get The Rock versus Mankind for the WWF title on this episode of Raw. Can you believe it? 
We've got something to talk about after all. Yes, I should say the match between Mankind and Triple H was not very much at all. Three minutes of arm rocks. Hunter goes for a sunset flip. Shane does the heel referee thing. Quickly counts Mankind's shoulders down. And there you go. Triple H says, eh, I'm going to take my victories any way I can. Because of course he does. But benevolent soul that he is. So give Shane the pedigree. And as Dan so eloquently described there, Mankind demands a title shot tonight, or else. I should say the amateur hold he locked on was a bit of a classic. I'm sure Stu Hart himself would approve. <laughs> you can't see where his arm is. His eyes are going to pop out. <laughs> there you go, Billy. Once... <laughs> I should say, everybody, that's for Billy Johnson's benefit. We had a discussion off air that I can get my Stu Hart impression in at least one show every month. So one down, <laughs> 11 to go. Hey, 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 pay the piper. Pay the piper. And what, what better opportunity was there to get it in than that? So, after that, if anybody's still listening, we do indeed get our match for the World Wrestling Federation title. Dan, watching this live as we all were, knowing this was a taped show, what were your expectations going into this match between uh, Rock and Mankind for the title? Already faced each other twice on pay-per-view. What were you expecting from a match quality perspective, if anything? And what sort of result do you think we were going to get? Um, I honestly was expecting schmoz, obviously, because A, it's, it's the WWF, and that's their thing right now. Uh, and two, generally, you would expect these to be going out at the Royal Rumble, so you would want to have an angle that sets up Mick Foley triumphing at the Royal Rumble. So I was expecting a rock retaining by chicanery or just the usual standard double disqualification match quality wise again just as you said the raw matches generally are five to ten minutes long so nothing special at all really i don't think you're alone in that this just felt to me at the time like it was a bit of a stop for the live crowd i was expecting again some sort of schmoz double dq finish something like that Give the fans something to go home happy with, knowing, of course, that Rock is actually still the World Wrestling Federation champion. However, intrigue alert, that isn't quite what we got. If you stay with me, dear listener, I'm going to tell you exactly what we did get on our main event. The match itself starts out with Mankind, ripped shirt and all, and then his buddies DX decide to join him. That's nice. Rock has, of course, the corporation in tow. The champ gets off to a strong start with some kicks and he sends Mick to the outside. He tells the corporation he's got this, but Mick responds with some shots. Rock then whips Mick into the steps and again he wants the cronies to back off, which I think is interesting. He then dumps the stairs on Foley as Vince says, no disqualification. He takes Cole's headset to tell us it's Smackdown Hotel time on No Year Old Boulevard on Jabroni Drive. How are they keeping this guy a heel? Very, very difficultly. J-O-Z-X-Y-Q-K. That's not a word. As we all get to later on. Mick fights him off with testicular fortitude, but Rock nails him with the ring bell and then chokes him with the cord. And then a rock bottom through the table, which doesn't break properly. Ouch. Back in for a two. And a DDT gets the same result. Big slam and the corporate elbow also doesn't get it done. Swing neck breaker. Bossman trips Mick, and in the confusion, Rocky gets given the belt. He nails Mankind right between the eyes, but the challenger can kick out. He misses another try, then Mick responds with a DDT on the championship, as Michael Cole calls it. Of course, everybody, championship is the construct. It's actually a belt, but this is a championship opportunity. 
No, we don't use pronouns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That only gets. Let's stick to the guidelines. <laughs> uh, we know it all far too well. That only gets two, but here comes Socko time. Rock starts to fade, but there is Shamrock with a chair. Billy Gunn hops in to help, and then the two factions brawl. Huh, you think that's an and then? No, no, no. This is an and then. And there you go. As you really have just heard, Steve Austin's help, and he became the WWF champion. I've done my best on the audio there to do as much justice as I can to that pop. I'm still not sure it completely comes across in the way that it was on television, let alone being there. Again, remember, this is a canned show in front of a crowd who are really just there to entertain themselves in that bizarre twixt period of Christmas and New Year. They didn't think they were going to get a title change here, let alone the WWF title going to Mankind. Lots to talk about here. First, Dan. Yeah, let's get this one out of the way because I think this will be the easiest to discuss. The match wasn't very much, but on this occasion, it really did not need to be. Absolutely not. I mean, this is a moment that um, the Raw needs rather than it being a good match. And that's why yeah, these guys just knew what they wanted to do. It was the greatest hits kind of of where um, the rock bottom match. But it's like, it's not much. And yet they still did a rock bottom on the table, you know, and chairs. Yeah, good point. And, yeah, so, but I got, it's more of just like random spots here and there and just sped up. But look, we're not here. To, like, no one's going to remember the match. Everyone's going to remember what happened after the match and what happened for the finish. You know, that's that's it. It doesn't matter. 
quite right. As you say, even here in seven, eight minutes, they're still taking quite insane risks. I think it says quite a lot about the the TV product week to week now that we almost expect a spot like a rock bottom through the table in whatever our main event's going to be. If that happens on Raw, even two years ago, you know, our jaws are on the floor. Now we come to expect it. I just wanted to say that as a sort of tenor, if you like, of how main event matches are works in the WWF these days. The debate itself is very much for another day because the match quality I could not care less about. Let's talk about Steve Austin's return. Now, he's only been gone for two weeks. <laughs> Let's be, now, we haven't seen him since, was it the rock bottom pay-per-view? Now, it's not as if he's a prodigal son returning, but that pop when he did, Dan, my God, that if that didn't blow the roof off the place, then you know, bravo to the builders because that was sensational. <sighs> is goosebumps Gen- genuinely goosebumps inducing that is it the biggest pop we've heard in the course of this project off the top of my head i cannot think of a bigger one i think we've i think we've had equally loud reactions yes at canadian stampede is generally the yeah. way i think good of good but but i think the key word here is this pop was louder but canadian stampede was more sustained that's what it was yeah that was a show and this is a moment where the crowd realize for the first time that this is going to happen. And the fact that it's the, the most beloved wrestler in the world right now doing it to arguably the second most beloved makes it that much sweeter. But yeah, it's, it's deafening. Like, it's not, it's, maybe there's a bit of a sharpened forward a moment, but again, even Hogan, even Warrior, even Flair in the 80s at the peak of wrestling couldn't make a pop that big. So that's a huge endorsement to to Austin's popularity right now, if, if ever there was one. I think you made a great comparison there by bringing in Hogan and Warrior because the pop that Austin got there, it really did feel like hero worship. And we talk about people like Hogan and Warrior being superheroes. They say the wrestling landscape in 1998, virtually unrecognisable from what it was in 1990. I know that different fan base, different expectations, all of that, of course, needs to be taken into account. But I think this is this is the ultimate. This is the zenith. Now, Stone Cold Steve Austin is, you know, he swept the board in our awards last year, and so he should. Rightly WWF champion, number one name almost in entertainment, let alone, let alone pro wrestling. And he goes away for just two weeks, and then the glass smashes, and it is... It's a hero appearing before you. Just those moments leave you to think what pro wrestling is capable of. And we weren't even finished there. I should say on the original recording of this show, Bob Collin was, he wasn't exactly in love with the idea that mankind didn't get the clean win. We'll take this into mankind now. Yeah, Dan, what do you think of that? Because I, this was typical, excellent contribution. But I think he was wrong on that one. What do you think? It didn't really matter here. Mm, I, I'm kind of in the, in the middle. I think that he, it does this. It, I think the moment I don't like is the fact that Austin pulled him onto the rock. Mm, yeah. Okay. I, I, I can I can go for that because it's the fact that even if Austin had just hit him with the chair and then Mick Foley immediately just went and covered him. It would have been like that's this initiative is with mankind here, but because Austin pulled him onto him, 
it still feels like this is an Austin-led victory. But the fact that we had last month Mankind basically get a clean pinfall and clean win over The Rock, but because of Vince Dusty finishing that match, he has not become the champion. So we know we know that Mankind can has beaten The Rock and should be the WWF champion right now. So I'm not going to be like, oh well, this this was the this was the wrong decision because we've already seen it visually happen as well. Um, but I can definitely see Bob's point, and, and I definitely would. You know, I, I, there are things I could have improved about it, but I'm not going to get my bee in the bonnet about it because it's such a, you know, it's one of those moments that again we will remember for a long time. And generally, when that happens, is not, and it's definitely not for the wrong reasons. That again, spoiler alert: other pay companies and promotions have a terrible habit of not doing. <laughs> Whatever can you mean? In an ideal world, and I seem to mention that every single month on the shows, but then this isn't an ideal world. If it was, would I really be presenting a pro wrestling podcast? I'll just let that one linger. But if this was an ideal world, yes, Mankind goes in. Socko, Mandible Claw, whatever you want to call it. Rock is down. One, two, three. Ori submits. There you go. If you want utter perfection, that's how it should end. Uh, and if this was, say, Mankind's first title shot and it ended this way... Mm, you probably could say it was a little bit on the tainted side, but A, because he has been screwed on at least two occasions before. Three, if you count them being screwed out of the Rumble shot earlier on Raw. And B, and it's the biggest B we've ever talked about, it means, Dan, that Mankind, Mankind is the World Wrestling Federation champion. And however he did it, I would not exchange that celebration. One, two, three. It wasn't just a cheer. For the crowd, it was 15,000 people saying, yeah, that's what they were saying. Yeah. At the top of their voices, a, a purest celebration in the truest sense of the world. And it was Dan, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy or a more deserving guy. So take the floor and before I do the same, gush uncontrollably about Mick Foley being World Wrestling Federation champion, because it really did happen, folks. No dusty finish. He was the yeah. champion. Oh, don't it feel great? It was amazing. It was magnificent. Like it, it shows that even in a business that is notoriously, you know, rewards, you know, the backstage politicking and the and the not not the very nice people, that even the good guys can get a win. And hard work, sacri personal sacrifice, is worth it because this guy has now finally got that that mantle. Not not you know the mantle of being the man that this company trusts, you know, more than anyone to represent the company as it's, you know, the main guy. And it's, you know, Mick Foley is, is over the course of this project, I've given such a huge appreciation for him as a talent, but, and, you know, everything you hear about him backstage and everything you hear about him um, from the dirt sheets just says that this guy is such one of the nicest blokes in the entire industry for the, the stuff he does with his family, the stuff he does with, um, you know, putting people over in the ring. He's selfless. He's 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 a good laugh. And he's you know he's just he's the man that everyone wants wanted to be the champion. Um, and they gave us a story that warranted it, and it felt so good. <laughs> if this you know if if this this felt genuine because the man himself got it you know. But made us believe that this was, you know, this is Mick Foley winning. 
the world the world championship. Mankind at the minute is not the the deranged psychopath piano player that came in. This is a different. This is basically Mick Foley wearing a mask in in all senses of the word. Yeah. And this is why it feels so special because it feels like the man has won the belt rather than a character, in my opinion. Now that's a great point. Everybody felt it. I was. You know, I've been called on these shows more than once a cynical, jaded wrestling fan. Hi there, Eric. But I tell you what, I don't, <laughs> I don't mind admitting that when this happened and the three count was administered, I was up out of my chair. I was running around the room. I was punching the air. And I'm sure there were hundreds of thousands of people all over the world doing exactly the same thing. And Michael Cole, this is a point that Adam made on the original version of the show. He turns to me and says, Rory, you don't like Michael Cole very much, do you? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> but I'm going to give him credit, said Adam about some of his lines here. And I thought they were very, very good. He did his absolute best trying to make this seem important when he's saying things like, as you heard in the audio earlier, now this is a victory for anybody who's been told in life, you can't do it. And that line resonated with me because look at mankind, look at Mick Foley. He's not the biggest, he's not the toughest, he's not the strongest, he's not the most agile, uh, he's not the best on the mat, he's not the best high flyer around, he's not the best brawler not the best technical guy. He probably is one of the best promos you've ever seen, but that's by the by. But he just does not look like anybody who would be ascending to the very uppermost, the highest echelon possible in his chosen profession. And yet here, the beginning of 1999, he has been. And as you say, you're, you're Adam on the brain after that comment, as you say, Dan, and you're quite, quite right, where we are now in the wrestling business, these things, they don't happen very often. Now, the nice guys, we want them to get their, their due, but it's more hope rather than expectation. Now, it's always a, in pro wrestling, and maybe even life itself, that you have to be the bad guy. You have to be the asshole now, to get that promotion, to get that pay rise. Not necessarily. If you just knuckle down and be yourself, and sometimes, just sometimes, you can be rewarded. And when you see all of DX there, Helmsley, Road Dog, X-Pac, when Mankind's lifting up the belt and all of them are there, you can tell that their celebration's on their behalf. Now, they're not faking it. That's Those smiles are too large to not be real. And all the things that Mick Foley has done, the better parts of his body, and indeed the worst ones that he has left in arenas and cold floors and God knows where else all over the world. And he's there at the risk of sounding uncool. I want to dedicate this to two very special people at home. Now, whether you've been a wrestling fan for a year, 10 years, 50 years, now, whether it's all attitude for you or you're from Capital Wrestling, whether you like the rock and wrestling, whatever, nobody cannot be moved by that. Do the WWF these days do that often enough? I don't know. But one day they did, and they did it for the right person. I have no doubt at all, all the things that have gone on in the last 27 days since, but I have no doubt at all that we're going to be talking about this particular moment again in 11 months' time. And I just hope on this show again, I use the phrase that we have done it justice. If somehow you miss this and a lot has gone on since, please do not let this get buried. Dig out the tape if you recorded it and just watch it again and again as a symbol of sometimes, just sometimes, nice guys do finish first. Yeah, it's definitely going to be the biggest feel-good moment of the year. Oh, yeah. For certain. I mean, no, nobody in the three promotions we have now um, 
has that history of you know hard work and dedication to the business and the character and the you know the adulation of the crowd to generate this amount of feel goods magic um we may see more entertaining moments we may see more um kind of shock moments but for, for just making you smile like i can't get the cheshire crack going off my face right now just talking about it because it's mick foley winning the wwf title the, the ultimate good guy see sometimes yeah. it can happen it's been said so often about pro wrestling for centuries in the end the good guy comes out on top doesn't always happen like that but here both in the script before our eyes and yeah i'm gonna say in real life the right person won and who fucking ray for that i just wish dear dear listener that we could end it there but i'm afraid as you're about to hear january 99 wwf oh we were just getting started On January the 11th, DX kick us off. They introduce us to the new World Wrestling Federation champion, Mankind, who cuts an emotional promo about winning the belt and thanks Austin for the role he played last week. The corporation interrupt and Shane calls Foley a disgrace. They announce DX will be in singles action tonight and our main event a corporate Royal Rumble to determine the number 30 entrant in the Rumble match. The Rock demands a match with Mankind for the title at the Rumble, and eventually Mankind offers The Rock an I Quit match. Vince books Mankind vs Kane for the title tonight, which irks The Rock. Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett defeat the New Age Outlaws in a match, featuring a lot of involvement from China and Deborah. Luna defeats Gilberg with a flying splash. Valvinus comes down and hits on a lady in the crowd. Ken Shamrock runs in and beats the hell out of him, demanding Venus not mess with his sister. Billy Gunn comes out and moons her, and Shamrock attacks him too. Shamrock gives Billy a title shot at the Rumble. X-Pac retains his European title against Al Snow after interference from Goldust. Kane vs Mankind for the world title ends in a no contest when The Rock runs in for the DQ. He hits both men with chairs until Austin makes the save. The Rock bails, Austin stuns Mankind and Kane for good measure. Backstage, Vince is upset with The Rock, who says he refuses to let that big red retard get the belt and vows to make mankind scream he quits. Triple H defeats Edge with a pedigree. After the match, the brood attack, the lights cut out and Road Dogg is left all bloody. Undertaker makes his return from being buried alive, talking about his ministry. Undertaker sacrifices Dennis Knight and renames him Midian. We have a satanic ritual with the acolytes as Undertaker's henchmen and a burning Undertaker symbol brings this segment to a close. D'Lo offers a servitude to Terry for causing her to miscarry. D'Lo faces Mark Henry, but Terry immediately goes row on Henry for the DQ. China makes the save with her friend, Sammy. We have another superb segment with Vince training for the Rumble. He is running in the snow, chasing a chicken, carrying wood, and hitting raw meat while being trained by Shane. In our main event, we have the corporate Royal Rumble. China won the match, and the right to enter the match at 30 at the pay-per-view, last eliminating... Vince McMahon. The go-home show for the Rumble the next week opens with Stone Cold Steve Austin talking about being number one in the Rumble and having a $100,000 bounty on his head. He has a beer on the announce table to end the promo. Rodog retains the hardcore title against Gangrel after a chair shot to the head. Test for Billy Gunn ends via DQ when Shamrock attacks Billy. Shamrock destroys Gunn on the announce table after the match. 
we have another Vince training video showing him sparring in a ring and stunning some training partners. Bossman beats down Mankind in the back. Dan 7 v Blackman ends via DQ when 7 hits a low blow and he locks on a Dragon Sleeper after the match. Mankind vs Bossman, hardcore match, ends via DQ, but of course, The Rock nails Mankind with a chair to the back of the head to close out the wild brawl. The Rock is here again and he's concerned about his match with Kane, but Vince insists he'll lay down. The Rock calls Kane a retard and Vince demands that Kane does what he is supposed to tonight. In a horrendous segment, Mark Henry comes out and begs China for the tape. His mother is in the crowd. China rolls the footage. We see Henry getting intimate with China's friend Sammy until he finds a penis. Sammy's a transvestite. This was something. Patterson and Briscoe talk strategy for their handicap match v China, arguing over who should get the pin. Presumptuous. Al Snow defeats Goldust with an Oklahoma roll in a match for the right to keep head. To continue the trend of bad finishes, Goldust hit Shattered Dreams and stole head anyway. Midian asks Lawler and Cole if they feel it. He promises another sacrifice in six days at the Rumble. Taker says Midian was a lost soul, but now he has been found. China defeated Patterson and Briscoe in a handicap match, and in our main event, Kane refused to dive against The Rock. Predictably, the match was thrown out when the corporation ran in. They beat Kane down after the match until Mankind makes the save. Which brings us to the first pay-per-view of the year, which is, of course, the 1999 Royal Rumble. Dan, I will not make you read out all 30 participants. I'll be doing that myself later. But let's have the full card for the 99 Royal Rumble. The Big Boss Man defeated the hardcore champion, the Road Dog. and didn't win the belt. Ken Shamrock defeated Billy Gunn by submission to retain the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Ed Up defeated Gangrel for the European title. Sable defeated Luna in a strap match for the WWF Women's title. Unfortunately, The Rock defeated Mankind in an I Quit match to become the new WWF Champion. And the 30-man Royal Rumble match was won by the chairman of the board, Mr. McMahon. Oh, baby. Dan, <laughs> if that final sentence alone doesn't answer it, what did you think of this show? Everything that Survivor Series did right in terms of telling a overall story across an entire show, the Royal Rumble match failed when they tried to tell an overall story when in an hour-long match context. And when the whole pay-per-view is centered around that show, and then there's another match which has an incredible amount of controversy in it. Yes, it is going to be one of, I think, is a black mark on a company that really started off the year in such a great in such a great way. Yeah, a rough old start, wasn't it? Thing is, with the Rumble, it's like the old saying: if the left hand don't get you, the right one will. If it's not a great Royal Rumble match. You've got a great title match to back it up and get you out of a hole. I've seen a lot of high ratings for this particular title match, but when we pick it apart, we will see that I most certainly did not like it. And when I say like, I mean did not like. The undercard was a dog, but we can almost forget about that. Well, we could if we're not going to review every match for you. And the Rumble match itself? Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's talk about the undercard first, shall we? We open up with Big Boss Man versus Road Dog. 
Because, of course, we do. During the entrances, Michael Cole tells us that Rodog will look to play to his strengths of speed and agility. So we're off to a strong start. One half of the tag team champions in Bossman taking on the hardcore champion Rodog in a non-title match. Ah, oh dear. Bossman runs the ropes early, which Cole calls attempting to get the psychological advantage. And you wonder why I hate him so. Rody tells Bossman to suck it, which gets him shoved in the corner as Bossman chops away at him. Bossman hits a charge in the corner before playing to the crowd and then misses another charge. Rody takes advantage and goes for 10 punches in the corner, but Bossman counters with an inverted atomic drop. Rody comes back with a drop kick, so Bossman goes for the nightstick, but the ref is not having it. The announcers point out that Vince could have made this for, for the hardcore title that he wanted, but just hasn't. And of course, it's never explained why. We don't deserve an explanation. They brawl back and forth, trading strikes until Bossman takes control after going to the eyes. He hits a big boot and taunts the crowd again before locking on a bear hug. Rody bites his way out but gets hit with a knee. Bossman hits an uppercut and chokes Rody in the corner before removing the turnbuckle pad from the opposite corner. He hits a sidewalk slam and taunts the crowd again. Bossman now spends a lot of time choking and then matches up the proverbial snail's pace. Road Dog ducks a clothesline and locks on a sleeper, but Bossman goes to the eye to break the hold. Bossman goes up top but is then slammed down. Rody punches away and manages to get a two count, but out of nowhere hit with a Bossman slam to bring our opener to a close. Thankfully, Dan. Yeah, not good. Especially not for an opening match. Um, I, I really want to like the Road Dog because I, I just think his charisma's off the charts. And he obviously he gets like there's a reason why he's in the opening match because the crowd love him, and he is probably the guy that is most like this is maybe a controversial statement, but probably the most the biggest reason why DX is the most beloved babyface kind of group because ah, his, his thank you thank you because it's his catchphrases that get them hyped and then it's Xbox work rate it's. And then Triple H is just the de facto leader, but he is the reason why they're so invested when they come out. But he's not good in the ring at all. He's so generic. Like his 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 big signature comeback is two jabs in the right hand, and no amount of you know um, dancing can get around the fact that that's just not really that interesting to watch, especially as I, in your words. I'm the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast work rate guy. Uh, so yeah, this 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 uh this wasn't this wasn't too great. Um, yeah, and and again, it wasn't explained, but I demand my explanation as to why this wasn't the hardcore title on the line because both men have been hardcore champions before. The Road Dog won it off the Boss Man. Why isn't this for the hardcore title? Yeah. Anyway. I'm afraid I can't give you an answer. Nobody seems to want to give us an answer, so there we go. And it really should have been a hardcore match. A, these two have had some good fun ones on Raw over the last couple of weeks. And B, in today's wrestling climate, what better way to keep your crowd hot? Just 10 or 12 minutes of these guys knocking seven bells out of each other. Maybe they didn't want to detract from the title match, but I think by the time that arrived, nobody would have remembered this match anyway. So you might as well use it as a conduit just to keep the crowd hot. Is that it was a non-title straight-up match, and I did feel a bit sorry for them because uh, a twelve-minute wrestling match, pretty safe to say, it's not in the wheelhouse of either of these guys. And you're absolutely right about Road Dog, and it does illustrate an issue with the product these days. Uh, the guy is so over, so charismatic on the mic, 
And yes, he is the reason DX are popular. <laughs> Send your hate mail, Hunter. But um, <laughs> bring it on. I'm ready. But um, the problem is we've got so many guys who are so over for their mic work. The time comes, though, they've got to get in the ring. And that's when it all falls apart. Now, he's so limited. He's just punchy, kicky. And I think even that's exaggerating it. He's got that crazy legs knee drop thing, and that's pretty much a lot. Not a particularly strong seller either. So he doesn't really exude much as a baby face in that respect, let alone his moveset. Now, thank goodness he's got his mic work. Otherwise, he damn well would not have a whole lot else. But yeah, these two booked in a position they shouldn't really have been in, but they really did very little to change the minds of anyone. But uh, a mistake to open with this. I thought the crowd were pretty cold until we get to the two big matches. And I think this was part of the reason why. But let's move on to match two, which is a title match. Billy Gunn going for the IC belt against Mr. Ken Shamrock. Let's see what we've got. Ken jumps him at the bell, but Gunn gets the advantage quickly after a running clothesline and mounts with some rights. He hits a suplex for two, but misses a charge in the corner, allowing Ken to hit a few kicks. Shamrock follows with a knee lift, a body slam and a knee drop, and ending with a spinning wheel kick for a two count. Billy fights back with another clothesline and a hanging vertical suplex, gets two. Gunn tells Ken to suck it and it's ten punches in the corner. A popular spot already tonight. He charges, but Shamrock lowers the ropes and sends Gunn to the outside. Ken hits some knees, pounds Billy into the barricade and launches him into the ring post. They brawl on the apron with Billy countering some right hands by launching Shamrock into the announce table in an interesting spot, but sadly looked very, very telegraphed. Back inside, Shamrock with some more kicks and works over the leg. We are told of Billy's bad ankle from Raw. It would have been nice if he'd sold it at all during the first 10 minutes of the match. Billy punches out of a front face lock and gets a roll up for two, but Shamrock responds with a fisherman suplex for his own two count. After a whip reversal, Shamrock accidentally clotheslines the ref. Val Venus runs in and hits a DDT on Shamrock and leaves, but Billy can only get two. They brawl before Gunn heads up top, but he misses with a flying clothesline and his ankle buckles, allowing Shamrock to take advantage, who locks on the ankle hold for the submission win. Dan, apparently Billy Gunn was due to win the title here, but he turned up to the arena in the fabled no condition to perform. So the result was switched and Shamrock held on to the belt. With that in mind, your thoughts on what we did get here? Hmm. Um, I must admit, I kind of enjoyed this. Um, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go as far as say it was good, but I was still very much entertained by it, mainly due to Ken Shamrock actually working a body part that makes sense because he's actually, you know, ankle lock and he goes after the leg rather than what he's been doing recently, which is just general heel work. Um, the most impressive thing about this match for me was Jerry Lawler's 30-second spiel about how Ken Shamrock is a shark in the water that smells blood. And then as he finishes, Ken Shamrock literally walks over to the announce team and goes, I smell blood. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but that, was, that, that genuinely made me, that was the most impressive thing about this match for me. I was genuinely starstruck. Um, yeah, I thought Ken actually looked pretty good in this, which is surprising when you say that Billy was meant to win. Because... Billy looked pretty poor. I don't know whether that was his own fault or whether that was by the agents that they just matched out. But for me, yeah, Shamrock was the clear star in this match. And it's surprising you said that Mr. Ass was meant to win here because I just didn't think he looked that impressive. And the other big 
minus point for me is the walking angle killer that is Val Venus and getting involved in this as well. I've made my thoughts on this character clear in any other previous incarnation that he's on in WWF shows. So him, him, him being inserted into this continental title picture is not for me with very much hope going into the WrestleMania season because as much as I, you know, as much as we don't want to say it, Ryan Shamrock makes much more sense for Valvinus to be involved because she's a woman, and Mister Ass, you know, he's clearly, you know, even once, even if he's mooning her, he ain't no porn star, mate. So yeah, I'm not looking forward to that one next month. But for a match, I thought this was the best of the undercard, um, and I'm pleased that Ken Shamrock is still the Intercontinental Title because, in my opinion, he looked much better here than Billy Gunn. You might remember, listeners, on our SummerSlam show, we did about 250 of these. So just one today. The Val Venus gimmick has shriveled up. Right, this match. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. But the silence there speaks volumes here. Okay. I already dropped a tumbleweed in in volume two. I'm not going to do it again. Anyway, this particular match. Yes, Billy was due to win here. If you remember, he did actually get a three-count win over Shamrock on Raw last month when he had then-heel commissioner Shawn Michaels say that... He did not say before the match that it was a title contest, so Shamrock kept it by virtue of that, leading to a natural rematch here. And indeed, based on that, it would make sense that Billy would get the victory. But he was his own worst enemy, so we are told. The whole point was that they were singles acts in 1997. They were both terrible. Yep. And they are now... I think Road Dogg's pushed on a little bit in terms of his charisma, but I don't think Billy Gunn's improved that much. I think he's just the only thing I can notice is that he's bulked out a little bit. And he's clearly athletic. And that maybe they look at him and see like a mini version of The Rock in that he's got he's got a bit of charisma about him. He's a, he's very athletic, so maybe they can mould him in that sort of way. But to me, every single time I see him in the ring, I just don't I just don't see it. I don't see that factor that is going to make a guy a, a solid intercontinental or even a B-show main eventer level. And Shamrock clearly is. And no, I don't, I don't see it right now. Because I just think the character, A, the character is not a, you know, he likes his bum. That's not a brilliant <laughs> character. Not a great character to be pushing into, you know, the upper mid, the upper mid card. Can you imagine Billy Gunn feuding with, you know, someone who is a serious, you know, a serious main eventer over, you know, with his character right now? The answer to that is no. Oh, he would drag them down someday, yeah. wouldn't he? I agree. I agree. I'm, I just want to say, listeners, I'm not calling for a Billy Gunn push, anything from it. I'm just getting the impression that that's something they might want to do. And he was trying in this particular match, but say he's going to win the title. He turns up drunk. And, you know, what can you really say? And he maybe was drunk. This- I, thought he would, I thought it was the other um, in no shape to continue of the option that there is because you know that's the thing that dx would mainly do <laughs> let's just say there's more than one report out there mm. let's call well, it a cocktail saying movie. that as well he had a random tag match as the mystery partner of austin against taker and kane back in september october time so they clearly are planning this oh god and i forgot many, that yeah yeah and how many rumors do we get every every month about dx are splitting it's going to happen this time and it's going to be Billy Gunn initiating it. So this is this isn't spur of the moment. This has been this has been in the works for a long time. So, but 
you know, this is this is strike one or yeah. even strike two. You know, how many more chances has he got? I just don't think he's ready in the ring, even on the mic, and certainly not behaviorally. And let's hope that is the last time we talk about any semblance of a Billy Gunn push on this show for a long, long time. <laughs> Once again, let's move on. Another championship match, Gangrel challenging X-Pac for the European title. Yes, this is a thing that happened. We opened with some chain wrestling, sort of, which culminates with X-Pac hitting a back suplex, whipping the corner and a nice-looking kick. He misses with a Bronco Buster and Gangrel comes back with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex for a two-count. He follows with a hot shot for another two before turning to a chin lock. Pac punches his way out but runs into a flapjack before missing with a top rope elbow drop. X-Pac takes control with some rights, a roundhouse, and a running clothesline to score a two. He hits, yes, that again, 10 punches in the corner. X-Pac then goes up top and gets crotched. And he goes for a crossbody after that. Gangrel rolls through into a pinning combination where both guys sort of have their shoulders down. And then the ref counts three. Big, big botch there, and the crowd let him hear it. Very quickly, X-Pac counters a flapjack attempt from Gangrel into an X-Factor for the win. Dan, pretty much all there is to talk about in this one was that horrible botch by Teddy Long. It's one of those horrible things in wrestling where if you fuck up a finish that badly, the match is doomed, no matter what came before it. Uh, and I don't know whether it was you know, a complete mishap from Teddy Long or whether there was a bit of miscommunication as well. But yeah, as soon as that happened, in my head, I wrote this match off. Which is a shame because it's it's involving X Park and he's normally the most reliable hand in the company to deliver something good in the ring, and yeah, so another write off really. That that the finish was terrible, and let's move on. Yeah, shame because I thought this was a decent little match to this. X Park's always going to do his best these days, no matter who he's in there with. And Gangrel, he's got a couple of fairly decent power moves to him. I would like to get his character fleshed out a bit i'm still not sure if he's supposed to be is he a vampire is he just a big bloke pretending to be a vampire in this everything's ironic world we live in these days i'm still not entirely sure what his character motivation is i'd like to see a bit more about that but he was trying in the ring here but yeah what, what came before not really worth talking about the only thing i can remember now just visualizing in my brain was teddy long counting three when he shouldn't have getting a you fucked up chant from the knowledgeable the knowledgeable crowd. And then we just went to the finish. And so were we. Strap match for the women's title between Luna and Sable. This one will not take long either. Is that what she said? Shane is out with Luna. I want Sable Good to God. forfeit her title, but Sable comes out and demands the bell be wrong. Oh, I'm only just getting started. Sable whips Luna early and gets three corners. Yeah, that spot already before Luna cuts her off. We have a lot of choking and whipping before Sable hits a clothesline and a hair toss. Luna locks on a variation camel clutch, and that is putting it very generously, and gets to two corners, but Sable cuts her off with some kicks but misses a charge. Luna hits a backbreaker and drags Sable around with both of them getting the buckles at the same time. Oh, God. Shane gets up on the apron before Sable can get to the buckle to, to distract the ref. But Sable's crazed fan takes advantage and decks Luna, allowing Sable to get the fourth buckle to retain her title. Dan, make it quick. They basically watched Steve Austin versus Savio Vega from 1996 and copied and pasted it and executed it about 
10 times not as good. Terrible match. Move on. Yeah, uh, wretched. Utterly wretched. I love Shane. I'm still not sure why he's doing double storyline duty here, but they haven't, again, it's just something they haven't explained. The Fed are normally excellent at making us know why things are going on, but I still don't really know why Shane's getting involved with Sable and what the end game there is supposed to be. Again, the only interesting thing to talk about this match, which was terrible. Luna couldn't go when she absolutely needs to, but she was just there as fodder for Sable, who I'm starting to get a little bit sick of, to be honest. She's making no effort to try and improve in the ring. And by all accounts, she's letting people hear about her own popularity backstage quite a lot. So that could be one to watch as well. But yeah, plenty to see here, but nothing to talk about. Right. Okay. So remember a few minutes ago, I was telling you about that wonderful moment where Mankind won the World Wrestling Federation title. Here is his first defense. And it is against the self-same rock in an eye quits match. Loins girded. We're going in. Mick hits some right hands to get us started and hits a running knee to the rock's head in the corner. He pounds away in the corner and nails a bulldog. He mounts and lands some punches before asking the rock if he wants to quit. Rocky just about gets out. The rock says you can kiss his before Foley smashes him with the mic. Great timing there. Foley beats on rock with the mic for a while, which is fantastic because you can really hear it amplifying through the sound system. Foley asks again and the rock says he's going to kick his fat ass which again gets some laughs from the crowd. Cactus Clothesline sends both men outside and The Rock takes over. They head over to the commentary desk where Rocky threatens mankind, but he gets nailed in the back with a chair. Mick tosses Rocky into the timekeeper's area and hits another chair shot before asking again, but The Rock is not going to quit. Back in, Foley with a double arm DDT and here comes Socko and now it's time for the claw. It puts Rocky out, but as we learned last month, he can't actually say, I quit, in that situation. They head back outside, and Foley tosses the rock into the crowd. Mick runs towards Rocky, who counters with a belly-to-belly -belly over the barricade. Ugh. Rock rings the bell on Foley's head. <laughs> it's just a stunning spot. Rock goes for a rock bottom on the table, but it gives way, and they crash to the floor. Oh, dear. No luck at all. They brawl up the aisle, and Mankind hits a clothesline. We go into the technical area and Rocky hits a DDT on the concrete. Rocky goes for a ladder, but Mick cuts him off and chokes Rock with it. Mankind misses an elbow drop onto the ladder and both guys are down. They climb onto a ledge in front of a balcony and brawl, which leads to Mankind eventually being knocked off and falling about 10 feet into electrical equipment, which sparks, sadly, not entirely convincingly. Shane McMahon, him again, runs out to call the match off as Mankind looks dead on the floor, but The Rock isn't having any of it. He drags Foley back down the aisle toward the ring, bowing to make him quit. And how? Rocky handcuffs Foley, yes, handcuffs, and hammers away in the corner until Mankind hits a low blow. He bites Rock and goes low again, but Rocky fights back and hits a clothesline and gets a chair. Rock with a corporate elbow onto the chair, but Foley won't quit. He nails, and I mean nails, the handcuffed Mankind in the head with a chair and Foley drops to both knees. Rocky then follows with four more vicious, brutal, unprotected chair shots to the head and Foley just collapses to the floor. Even King wants this match thrown out now. 
Rocky hits two more chair shots whilst walking up the ramp. There is blood everywhere. Another two chair shots followed by a sick as fuck one as if the previous nine weren't enough right to the back of the head. Now, mercifully, Rock puts down the chair and asks mankind to quit. And we hear the words, I quit, I quit, I quit, piped into the arena. We'll get to the story a bit later on. Mankind isn't moving at all. There was a noticeable echo to his words, but that doesn't matter right now. And nor does really for me the fact that Rock is the new WWF champion. Because Dan, we really did just bear witness to that. And the last three or four minutes, just not what I want from my entertainment. Mm, It was too far. Way too far. But the problem I have with it is that Mick Foley's done this before against Shane Douglas in ECW, where he got handcuffed and took six unprotected chair shots. Yep. So it's not like he has previous history where, you know, this is this is something that he's experienced firsthand and then went, oh, okay, this is terrible. I'm not doing that ever again. So do, do we think he encouraged it? Do we think that he said to The Rock that, the whole story of this match is that you're in a match rock that you can't win and I can't lose because I am the toughest son of a bitch on the, in the company and I never quit. So they had to do something that was going to make it believable that mankind could feasibly quit in this match. Now I'll get to the fact that that doesn't make sense later on, but to the people that don't know what's coming as brutal and as sickening as what is happening in the ring Especially that 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 because that f- rapid fire free chair shots to the head, yeah, is is disgusting. Especially that fifth that is that's a proper baseball swing chair shot. That is the stuff that you do with a ring post that to make it feel like you're going to decapitate someone with a chair shot. And they actually rock hitting with it. It's disgusting. So I I have complicated feelings towards this match because I genuinely loved every minute of it up until Mick Foley got the handcuffs put on him. I thought this match was so good up until that point. The, the, you know, the guys were entertaining with the microphone. The spots were really good. They were well paced. They were well thought out. It was the brutality that we that we needed to escalate up to from the two matches they had before. And I was so... I was enjoying, enjoying it in a proper ECW brawling main event style match with the WWF. And again, up until those chair shots came along. But... Part of me, because it's Mick Foley, I don't know, I, I can't, I, I know he's a nice guy, but part of me is thinking that he's done this before so many times, so is this actually okay for him? Is this part, is, he, what is, is this what he's asked for? He's screaming at the rock to come on and hit me. And the sickening as they are, is this something that he's, he's happy to do? Which in this case, I'm kind of more lenient to it. And the fact that there's a part of me that thinks that we are in the know, like, you know, not to blow and trepid here, but we read the dirt sheets. We we know all about what he's done in the ring, and we all know about how serious this is. But let's face it, the vast majority of people that are watching this show don't. Like, to them, this could be just, you know, it could be a fake chair. It could be stuff that is, you know, this, maybe this is a match they maybe not have seen before. They don't 
they don't have it in their heads that this is what we're seeing is actually you know crossing a line here because it clearly is like one hour again so i really complicated feelings on this this match because part of me knows that this was terrible and but part of me is also thinking that because he's done it before that did he ask for it and how stupid of a man and how stupid that decision would have been to actually encourage the rock to do this to him and there has to be obviously you know the rock should never ever be hitting him that hard especially what the planned finish was but yeah this is probably the most torn i have i've ever been about a match ever watching wrestling because i love so much of it and yet the finish was 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 too much and it crossed the line mankind you monkey ass says i quit The Survivor Series match I didn't like at all. You could tell they were pretty much booking it on the fly. The rock bottom one was getting there. This was a really strong brawl for 14, 15 minutes. Hard hitting, fast, aggressive, believable. If possible for an I quit match to be a legitimate sporting contest, as ludicrous an idea as that sounds, then this is the kind of thing it would be until you got to the electric board spot, which I didn't like, looked too hokey. But knowing what we know now, I do kind of wish, wish that the match had ended there, that they just had Mick take a huge tumble, maybe have the boards fall on him. He's not able to answer a count or something like that. You could still tell the story that the corporation screwed him out of the title. Instead, we got what we got. Again, I repeat, make this clear, it is not what I want for my entertainment. But Dan, I do think you make an interesting point and in all the discourse that's been about this match over the last week or so, I don't think it's one that anybody has really put forward. So I'm glad you have. And that is to say, this probably was Mick Foley's idea, right? Now, we know that he does not go half-ass in anything he does, and that is to his eternal credit. It's one of the reasons why I and so many people love the guy so much. It would not shock me at all if he said, hey, we did this great thing at ECW, ECW three years ago when Shane Douglas whacked me with a chair many times and then Michael Whitbrett came out to supposedly help me and he turned on me as well. Let's do something like that again here. He probably did mention that. Mick, knowing this style so well, nobody's going to say no to him. It's wrong to blame anybody for coming up for this idea, even if it might well have been Mick's himself. If you have to blame anybody, then it is The Rock, and I'm even slightly loath to do that. I just think, with the best will in the world, that he got, he got carried away with these shots. I mean, they were sick as fuck, make no mistake. The baseball swing one, which I think was shot number five, and the final one to the very back of the head. Well, not that the other eight were a pleasure cruise, but those two in particular have stuck with me. I just think he was... And I mean laying it in, laying it in, because that's the way that he knows that Mick Foley likes it. And he went too far. No defence, he went too far. But wasn't he just sticking to the script? I'm not really trying to make a case one way or the other on this one. I'm just trying to piece together what happened, what 
how these decisions were made because they don't stand up to any real close kind of scrutiny. I mean, no, this is not the sort of thing that anybody should want to see. And again, guys, I know a lot of people have been won over to pro wrestling in the last 12 months, a lot of new listeners to this show, and thank you for joining us. But don't believe what your friends tell you. There is no such thing as a fake chair, okay? So when they tell you, oh, why, when they say to you, oh, why do you watch that fake rubbish? They hit each other with made-up stuff like chairs, you know. The chairs fucking hurt, especially in this situation when it's done 10 times in a row. So let's get that one there, okay? On the other hand, I've seen some people saying that, yes, Mick Foley loves this. And besides, what's a few chair shots to the head? He'll be okay. Look at him. He was on Raw the next day. He's fine. Is he fine, though? What about next month, next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years? What if he can't walk in 25 years? What if he's a vegetable in 30 years? Now, these things leave a mark, literally and metaphorically. When I'm suspending my disbelief by watching any form of pro wrestling match, if it is something I can believe within that context, then I am fine with it. Case in point, mankind gets buried by all the electric boards and can't get up. Yes, if you look at it really closely, you can say, not entirely sure I completely buy that, but I can go with it. It's fine, it's convincing enough, and above all, it is painless. The whole point of pro wrestling is that these guys are making it look painful when it isn't. That's what we buy into. This is somebody being hit in the chi- in the head with a chair over and over and over again. It's instant pain, and it's very possibly pain of who knows what kind for years and years to come. And I just don't want to see it. And I just wish that if this was Mick Foley's idea, which it very possibly was, Dan, I, I think you're right. And I just wish somebody could come up to him, whether it was Rock himself, Vince Russo, even the biggest cheese of all, and said... No, no, we don't need to do it that much. We don't need 10 chair shots. We don't need to tell the story that you won't really say, I quit that way. We can find it another way. You know, Your health and your safety is the most important thing here. Now, this is Sunday night entertainment at the end of the day. It isn't life or death. Now, we don't need another dead hero in our lives. And I just worry if mankind keeps going on like this, Mick Foley, I should say, then that is the way we're going to end up. But Dan, again, I think you've made the point, but just to come back on it, this match, just to play devil's advocate again, it had to be violent, didn't it? Yeah, well, as I've said, Mick Foley has, building up to this match, has said that no matter what pain and punishment I take, I will never say I quit. And Michael Cole's going, he wo- he walks around the locker room saying I-Q-U-I-T because he can't say I quit to get this point over. So part of me goes, well, this spot, if whoever came up with it is just, is, quote, justified, not the severity of it, but the concept of it is justified because they had to do something that could convinc- convincingly make mankind say I quit. And t- Five to ten chair shots unprotected to the head would make someone conceivably do that. But when the finish is them recording him doing the doing a promo and playing out over the tannoy, takes away the need for that spot completely out the window. 
and that's why it is so galling seeing what happened because it was unnecessary for the sake of the finish if they had finished it with um the, the electric board spot or even one or two chair shots it would have been it would have worked but they didn't they went too far and they crossed the line uh there's a shot a photograph of this match i saw it on i think it was on wwf.com where rock is it's belting him with the chair shot one of the many and you can see in the bottom right hand corner you can see mick's wife and his young son and daughter there's only so much smartening up you can do i mean what must they have thought these are images that are going to stay with them for the rest of their lives as well that particular picture and again this for me it goes beyond entertainment and i'm sure there are going to be some people listening to this podcast saying ah don't be such a pussy man and i'm sure there will be others on completely the other side of the argument who are basically going to be mary whitehouse listening to this oh look what pro wrestling's doing to our children i'm trying to find the happiest medium i can between those two scores of thought and i admit it is not easy <sighs> I want to believe what I'm seeing, but when there is a man's legitimate future life happiness at stake, then I find it very, very hard indeed to be completely enthusiastic about it. No matter how much sense it might have made in the moment, I'm afraid I'm very much leaning towards no, no, and no on this one. It's almost academic that Rock became WWF champion, and just to fill in on the storyline, it became clear the next day that the corporation played in a tape of Mick saying the words, I quit, I quit. It actually said on heat earlier that day, and they passed that off as the finish. But by this point, I almost wasn't thinking about the match in kayfabe terms whatsoever. My only concern was no Mick Foley and please, if anybody out there is listening, we, we made this point on the King of the Ring show, for God's sake. I can't believe we have to make it again. Somebody just needs to put a stop to this. I mean, the WWF are red hot right now with this new product, and they're not treating their treating their audience like babies anymore. It's a hard-hitting style. It's an aggressive style, and I love it. No, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I love it. But you can draw the line. You can manner it. You can tone it down. And people will still buy into it. Health and safety should not be compromised for the sake of entertainment in any way, shape, or form. So, the reason we're here the Royal Rumble match. <clears throat> Deep breath. Well, I'm going to take some breaks in between this one. <laughs> you won't want to hear me rabbit on from start to finish. So remember, not only is this match for a title shot at WrestleMania, as is customary, we also have a bounty of $100,000 on the head of one Stone Cold Steve Austin. He is, of course, number one. And thanks to the now babyface commissioner, Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon is number two. With both Austin and Vince in the ring, we are underway. Austin demolishes Vince immediately with right hands and boots as Cole gleefully cries, how often do you get to see an employee rip the CEO of a Fortune 500 company apart? Mm, punchy. Austin flips Vince off and goes low before hitting a clothesline. 
Golga is out at number three, and Austin hits a Fez press on Vince. Golga goes after Austin, who tosses him out of the ring in less than 15 seconds. Vince uses the break in his beatdown to roll under the bottom rope and head into the crowd. Austin follows suit and chases after him, and they brawl through the crowd. Yes, everybody, Royal Rumble match with nobody in the ring. Keep that in mind. Draws his number four with nobody to fight, but nobody cares as the camera follows Vince and Austin. They head into, they head into the ladies, but the entire corporation jumps Austin. Back in the ring, Edge is number five, and he brawls with Droz before Gilberg enters at six. After doing the Gilberg thing, Edge eliminates him with a shake of the head. We see the corporation leaving Austin laying backstage. Steve Blackman is out now and hits some kicks on Edge as Austin is treated by medical personnel. Dan Seven is number nine, and he and Blackman try a little bit of MMA. Your boy Dan Tiger Ali Singh is next, but no one is paying any attention as we see Austin being taken off in an ambulance. The crowd are completely dead as Blue Meanie is out at number 10. I will briefly stop there. Well, Dan, it's one way to start a Rumble match. Yeah. Um... A very shit way, but anyway. <laughs> oh, the star power and show here. Tiger uh, Ali Singh, Blue Meanie. It's, it's, it's 8 92 brother. Uh, <laughs> um, right. Two minor points, and I'll get to the main thing. One, I'd like to de formally declare my entire love to the Gilbert character. Um, <laughs> I, I, I popped so hard for that entire thing. You're in good I'm, company on that one, don't worry. I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, especially, you know, li this and my love for Norman Smiley is giving me, giving a quick insight into what I enjoy wrestling quickly. Um, okay, okay. Don't, don't, don't spoil it now. Don't spoil it. <laughs> Carry on. Okay, so the, what... What we're all here to talk about, Mr. Universe, Vince McMahon, come up against <laughs> all that, uh, all that endurance, endurance, endurance training clearly paid off because, uh, he honestly he did look in great shape coming out here. And for a millisecond, you're thinking, hang on, is he is he actually gonna do a lock up with Austin and uh, make this a 50 50? Oh, no, he's not, he's gonna get absolutely beaten the piss out of. And it was pretty entertaining for those two minutes, and as we've got to have the scrubs come out and unfortunately we don't have the star power to do that so we've got Golga coming out and then you realize that maybe having austin and mcmahon being number one and number two was a huge mistake because you've got to make this rumble last and you can't when you've got the biggest baby face in wrestling and not enough star power to keep him occupied and a great character mr mcmahon but he's not a trained wrestler so he can't do it either it's not believable um and then the excuse that they get out of i, I is executed well and, and to some extent clearly the training with the chicken helped vincent man to get away from austin <laughs> in in quick time and but then again the whole concept of having a rumble match that no one is interested in and just wanted to see the titan tron to see what's happening with austin defeats the entire point of the match like this is one of the biggest concepts in wrestling history like it is so it's meant to be the main event it's meant to be the one of the things that people look forward to most in the entire year and no one cared number 11 is nobody in keeping with what you've just been saying. See, Mabel took out Mosh backstage 
and took his spot in the Rumble accordingly. Mabel immediately dumps Seven, Blackman, and Singh. Oh, God. Road Dog is 12, and he eliminates Edge very easily. The lights go out, and The Undertaker's music starts. When the lights come back, the Acolytes and Midian are in the ring, beating on Mabel, and toss him out of the ring. Taker is there with Bearer, and he stares down Mabel, and we are told he is hypnotizing him. <sighs> Pro Wrestling. Gangrel is number three, but Rhodey eliminates him really quickly, so we await our next entrant, who is Kurgan. He beats on Road Dog and hits a side slam. Al Snow is number 15 and teams up with Rhodey to attack Kurgan, but afterwards Road Dog eliminates Snow from behind. Goldust is next and he DDTs Kurgan and brawls with Rhodey before Godfather enters the match. And Kane is then number 18, who immediately dumps Road Dog and Kurgan and Godfather too. And he chokeslammed Goldust over the top. The crowd are coming alive and we can't have that. So staff from the Insane Asylum run out to try and restrain him he takes out a couple before eliminating himself in order to chase down some more. Shamrock is number 19, and again, he's the only person in the fucking room. <laughs> Vince returns to ringside to join commentary, and Dan, before I explode or implode, ugh, just take us through this. No, fucking Mabel being the Iron Man for a little bit and then being hypnotized by Taker. Kane getting the crowd cheering him, but then having to eliminate him. It's fucking disastrous, isn't it? Uh, Mabel's getting the diesel push, everyone. Oh, no, wait. It's, uh, it's, and I like to think that Paul Bearer is counselling The Undertaker to see who they can join for their latest Ministry of Darkness stable member alongside Dennis Knight and the Acolytes going through the ex-King of the Ring winners and finally seeing that Mabel is the only one available and having to settle for him. It's not a good look. I thought we left this bloke behind in 1995. Why is he back? He's uh, he's not improved. He's clearly not improved in the two and a half years that he's been absent from the company in any way, shape or form. So I'm not pleased with that for the starters. Number two, I counted three separate occasions where there was only one man left. No, yeah, four actually. Four separate occasions where there's only one man left in the ring. Ludicrous. Ludicrous. And it wasn't, you know, Austin did that in 1997, but he made it work by doing, by basically being awesome and doing really good character work. Ken Shamrock just walks around the ring, stares menacingly at fans, and the road dog is, you know, trying his best, but he's too much of a comedy guy to make it work. And then the only guy that they've got over that actually the crowd are interested in seeing was Kane. He looked really good. He looked a level or two above everyone that had come before him. And then he just goes away. <sighs> Ludicrous. Oh, just that's the word, isn't it? This just makes no sense whatsoever. It's so boring as well. Yeah, like, boring. It's not just the fact that we just sat, we just sat up. Uh, staring at a bloke walking around the ring for minutes on end but when actually wrestling does start you've got kurgan in the fucking ring <laughs> you've got gangrel who doesn't really do a lot our snow gets eliminated after 40 seconds goldust doesn't doesn't do anything Goldfell doesn't do anything nobody makes the time and the use of their time in this ring to get themselves a little bit over no one comes out of this looking good they really, really, really don't. And that's what the Rumble... That's the antithesis of what the Rumble should be about. It's not just about who wins. It's about who else gets themselves over or gets in a position to be over during it. 
who gets the Iron Man, who gets the most eliminations. But everything it was barely even an afterthought. But we still got eleven men to get through. So Shamrock's number nineteen with nobody to fight as Vince joins us on commentary. Billy Gunn, remembering to sell this time, limps down to the ring at number twenty, and Shamrock targets the knee. Test is out next, but we cut backstage and see Mabel being beaten and forced into a hearse. As that's happening, an ambulance pulls up and it's been commandeered by Austin, because of course you can do that. He returns to ringside as Bossman enters at 22. Austin goes after Vince, again, fantastic facial expressions at least, but runs into Shamrock and Test. Austin dumps Shamrock. Bossman chokes Austin as Triple H is in at 23. I'm talking very, very loudly on camera, by the way. Hunter goes after Test as Austin brawls with Billy Gunn after he attacked him, and Vince is gleeful on commentary that the bounty has made Austin a real target. Val Venus is next, but he's taken out by a clothesline from Hunter. Austin eliminates Billy after stomping on the bad ankle. X-Pac is next as Val attacks Austin, who goes out, but only under the bottom rope. X-Pac hits a wheel kick on Austin back in, and Mark Henry is 26. Henry swings for Austin, nails Bossman instead. Jeff Jarrett is number 27, and accordingly, nothing too exciting is happening. D'Lo is next out as Austin eliminates Test. Bossman dumps X-Pac out before teaming with Double J to go after Stone Cold. Owen is number 29 as Jeff is eliminated by Hunter. Austin spits at Vince on the outside, and China enters at number 30. Yes, the first woman to participate in a Royal Rumble, and she won the number 30 spot in a corporate Rumble on Raw a week or so ago. She goes after Henry and manages to eliminate him, but is taken out herself straight afterwards by Austin. Hunter throws out Val, but eats a stunner from Austin and is eliminated himself. D'Lo brawls with Austin as Owen works over Bossman. Austin backdrops Owen out. Boo. D'Lo and Bossman double-team Austin with D'Lo hitting the lowdown. He poses afterwards, so Bossman dumps him. Austin then takes advantage to attack Bossman from behind with a stunner, and he's out of there. So we are down to just Vince and Austin, because of course we are. They brawl on the floor and into the crowd before Austin waffles Vince with a chair. They head back in, and Austin taunts Vince, who begs him off before going low. Steve recovers and hits a stunner. And now The Rock comes out with the belt, talking smack at Austin from the apron. Austin gets distracted by The Rock, allowing Vince McMahon to push Austin from behind and eliminate him from the rumble. That's right, Vince McMahon has won the 1999 Royal Rumble match. <sighs> okay, we will get to our winner shortly. But Dan, as if your previous two comments weren't spoilery enough, what an awful Rumble match that was. Well, it was, yeah. It's easily the worst we've had so far, easily. In, in, this, in this project, yes. I think it's worse than 88. Terrible. Do, do continue. I'm not experienced. I, I humbly bow to your superior historical knowledge for that one. I, I only have experience of my four that I've watched. Go ahead. I'll lend you to that one. Um, I have I have five points in. I'll just rattle through them quick, quickly. Um, I don't want to gloss over China here because this is a very historic moment, and I want to give some props to her actually being able to break this little glass ceiling, and you know, be the first Royal Rumble woman entrant. This is a huge credit. I really hope she gets the credit she deserves for this down the line. Um, because, again, the main focus of this match was Austin and McMahon, but this is still a hugely historical achievement, and we should celebrate it more. 
And she got an elimination too, let's say that. Oh, Mark Henry of all people. Mark Henry, yeah. It's not like she just threw her X-Pac or, you know, doesn't score any kids. It was Mark Henry. Good call. Um, uh, two, I, I really just detest bouncy gimmicks in Royal Rumbles because it just makes it, it makes no sense that, yes, why doesn't everyone just go after this bloke? Oh, they've gone after him for a good 10 seconds and now they've walked away and started working over Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's, it's the problem I have every single time, any time that they do a marked man gimmick. If anything, last year they did it even better because at least the whole they acknowledged the whole roster wanted to get at him and they stopped, looked towards the entranceway and then got about their business. Here it's just, it's just like he's just there. And Vince is trying to sell it on commentary, but it just doesn't feel like it's important to anyone. They're just treating it as a normal Rumble match. It doesn't work into psychology. And three, I actually, like, for a 12-man Royal Rumble, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, but whatever's come before it was just so boring and so drab and was so story-ridden. The action was so dull that, you know, nothing, nothing interesting happens. And you're just waiting for someone to do something that's quite interesting, but they don't. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out at 22 and you're thinking, oh, all hell is breaking loose here. Someone's going to get a big rub by having him work over. But Bossman and Dilo just go out immediately in the final bit. You know, Bossman could have worked him over a nightstick and then Austin does a big, you know, heroic comeback. But no, they just dump him out and it's back to Vince and Austin again. So no one gets a rub in the final bit of Austin either. Like, this is the biggest man in wrestling and... No one got any shine by working with him in this Royal Rumble. And if this was another person on the other side of the fence, I would be calling a bit of annoyance here. And maybe I should also do that with Austin. I don't know. I don't know how much credence you have with this, but you know, there's something to that point. And then we get to the final two. And we enter dumb babyface territory, which is the biggest thing you can commit as when booking your top star you need to make the baby face not stupid because then people will eventually stop rooting for you because why on earth can austin not just get rid of vince throw him out the ring he is literally the lowest scrub on his in this entire rumble to him get him out of there then you can focus on the rock instead he just keeps jacking you know he keeps talking and talking and talking and michael cole's trying to, you know, buy time because Vince is taking an age to get up and eliminate him. And it just makes Austin look like a, looks like an Egypt. So again, you've, you've not only, you know, not giving anybody a rub in the Royal Rumble match itself, but you've also made your top star look, not look bad. And that's not good in a Royal Rumble match. And um, I, I think I've said enough now, so I'll, I'll hand it back over to you to talk about the main problem with this match and the main problem with the winner of this match well my main problem with this match is the person who's doing the booking these days couldn't have cared less about it um, Vince Russo it would not surprise me if he didn't even know what the Royal Rumble was and yes I know he's been on the books for a few years uh, he's just so all about story and it must be said most of his stories are pretty damn good and watertight but he was just so hell bent on telling us yet another chapter in Austin v. McMahon. It was completely at the expense of anything 
even remotely approaching a vaguely watchable rumble, let alone a compelling one. Again, I'll use the word afterthought. You had two or three periods where there was nobody in the ring. That is disgraceful. It's the opposite of what the Royal Rumble is. It's a chance to see seven, eight people going at it who very rarely see take each other on in a ring. All these dream combinations you've always hoped you'd get to see. You can actually see them going at it for a couple of minutes in a rumble. That's one of the great things about it. And all the interweaving stories, opportunities to get other people over. And nobody tell me that Mabel being hypnotized or Kane running away from medical orderlies are in rumble stories. They are not. Not how I understand them. Nobody's getting over because of that. They were there just because Russo had to put something else there, bro. Which brings me to what was about a very, very long 56 minutes and 38 seconds to get to Vince winning. Two points on this one. One, I'm going to try and make a slight defense here best I can. Vince McMahon is the number one heel in the company. Probably the number, no, the number one heel in wrestling right now. And he's fucking brilliant at it. We love him on this show. You love him if you're listening to it. Everybody should. Everybody should. Everybody does. Quite rightly so. So it kind of stands to reason that you want your number one heel to win such an important match like this, does it not? It probably does. He's got the heat for it. Let's face it, people were booing like crazy when he did. Job done to a degree, right? Just want to put that out there. But of course, everybody knows. We don't know how it's going to get there, but everybody knows we are not going to see Vince challenging for the title at WrestleMania. Now, they proved that point the next day on Raw, which we'll talk about later. But even at the time, we knew something screwy was going on. So you're taking away the, <clears throat> excuse me for saying this, WrestleMania moment element of the person winning the Rumble. And secondly, the only believable way you can do it, having Vince eliminate Austin, is making your number one babyface, the hottest guy in the company, the guy everybody loves to see, look like, and I'm going to use the expression, a total jackass. If there is one person, just one, who I would never believe would buy the whole distraction thing by somebody waving a belt at, waving a belt at him on the apron, it is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And yet they had him do it because Vince had to win the Rumble. It's the only way they could think of. And it made him look plain idiotic. Distraction finishes into a roll-up are bad enough at the best of times but at least they're normally for people who don't really matter too much on the totem pole. This is Stone Cold Steve Austin, for God's sake, and you're making him look like a moron. An utter moron. And yes, you could turn around and say, yeah, he's Steve Austin, he's bulletproof, he can take this. And yeah, he probably can. But that doesn't mean you've got to put yourself through the risk of it. <sighs> just down, just... I think... Part of the problem here as well, I want to see what you think of this. I say I, I can believe that you would want Vince to win as your number one heel, no matter how you got there. But just one more thing on this. Would they have been better served by making Vince number 30 and winning it in a really, really screwy way? Like, for example, Austin tries to overcome the corporation at the end and they might get the rub. As you say, they get the rub of eliminating him, and Vince steals the win that way, making them walk over the top rope. I'm spitballing here a bit, but I'm just trying to think of a better way they could have done it than this. 
that's a really good idea yeah I, I was i was i mentioned it earlier when i was talking about why couldn't boss man just beat the living hell out of him with a nightstick and have vince close him over the top as a kind of you know ultimate defining victory and let's, let's also talk about it this is a very heel heavy show yeah we've had you know corporation beat dx quite comfortably we've had that i quit match and now we've had mr mcmahon look make steve austin look like an egypt and i don't know whether they thought that let's make let's make austin look really strong and then have that one moment of weakness just to make it a bit more palatable rather than having it a big another beat down of your hero and then having him thrown over the top right but this is when you're back into a corner because on paper austin versus mcmahon finally going at it in the royal rumble it makes sense that's the core idea in in vince russo's head vince mcmahon's head whether but then you actually got to work out how you're going to get from a to b and you know having them number one on two i've already made a point about how bad that idea that was and having vince at 30 makes more sense but then like there's no there's no intrigue if austin wins again because this that would have been his third rumble win in a row you're getting you're dangerous at the point of having it being oversaturated how is he how is he going to be what's his next step going into be to, uh, before wrestlemania so having mr mcmahon win makes sense and then having you know a stipulation for him in there to to undo that wrestlemania title shot again would make sense but it was executed so badly that it made the biggest baby face in the company worse off than when he came in and that's something that you can't do especially when it's like let's put it this way we've we've have gosh so much recently about how the overall booking of this feud has been this is the first real major misstep in this feud what can they do to recorrect it and very shortly we will try and find out yes you're right i just want to come back on that before we wrap up on the rumble yeah they've got everything right going all the way back to september 97 here and judging by what we're going to get next month they might well do it right there again but this was they really stumbled here i get where they wanted to go but i really really hated how they got there no matter how great it was seeing Vince celebrate at the end, chugging beers and saying, baby, as the show went off air. Because believe me, that was pretty fucking great. And probably added half a point to my eventual mark for this show. It does not take away the taint of how we got there. So, Dan, let's hear your score rating out of 10 after you sum up the Royal Rumble for 1999. So, we've got the worst, in your opinion, the worst Rumble match of all time. Mm -hmm. And I will wholeheartedly take your word for it a very controversial and cringe cringy in a in a bad way not in a it's so bad you know not in you, you're terrified watching some of it a very bad undercard and a baby face that has come out of a big show looking a lot worse off than what he did before i'm going to give this a three Okay, when we originally recorded this show, I gave it a two and a half. I'm actually going lower this time. I'm down at a two. We had, a, oh yes, a dog of an undercard, which doesn't always matter in rumbles, but considering what we got afterwards, I think that needs to cater into the mark. We had a title match, which I said, but I'm going to say it again, went beyond entertainment for me. 
and we had worst Royal Rumble ever. Worst episode ever. So two out of ten, and almost entirely those two marks are for Vince McMahon's celebration. Shane brings out Vince to open up Raw on the 25th. Vince says he's going to WrestleMania and declares The Rock will receive the $100,000 bounty for helping eliminate Austin. Vince relinquishes his title shot and is no longer the number one contender. Vince says Austin will never get another title shot. Austin now is on the Titantron and he says the commissioner says Austin will be in the main event. Sean is with Austin and says that according to the WWF rulebook, if the winner of the Rumble steps aside, the person who came second gets the shot. Vince is aghast. Austin challenges Vince to a cage match next month, and if Vince wins, Austin will give up his title shot and never receive one again. Vince accepts. Billy Gunn defeats Goldust for the pile driver after the blue mini interfered, dressed as Blue Dust. The Rock mercifully interrupts the oddities so we don't have to sit through one of their matches. He accepts a match with Triple H for later tonight. We cut backstage and see Mankind hijacking the armoured truck which has The Rock's money in it, and then Mankind steals it. Mankind says he recalls being hit in the head a bunch of times, but not by saying he quit. He does remember being unconscious, and he shows us a clip from Heat screaming he will never say the words I quit, in the intonation we heard at the Rumble. Mankind says Rock has no claim to the title, and demands a rematch during half-time Heat in an empty arena match. Draws defeated, um, George Steele. Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett defeat Bossman and Shamrock for the tag titles after interference from the Blue Blazer. Shane calls out Kane and demands he apologises for his actions. Kane obliges, but Shane wants him on his knees. Kane drops to one knee, but that's not good enough. X-Pac interrupts, offers Kane a spot in DX, but Kane hits X-Pac with a chokeslam. We have a video of Val Venus getting into the shower with Ryan Shamrock. Val then defeated by Test after interference from Ken Shamrock. Billy made the save, but Bal thinks Billy attacked him, so goes after Billy's bad ankle. All makes so much sense. Road Dogg and Al Snow defeated Gangrel and Edge in a hardcore tag match when Roadie pinned Gangrel. Show demands a shot at the hardcore title and wants two out of three falls. Road Dogg accepts, but the Ministry attacks with Taker watching on. In our main event, Rock defeats Triple H in an I Quit match. Hunter was in full control, hitting two pedigrees and looking for a third on the announce table, but the corporation appeared with Kane holding China hostage. Hunter was told to quit or China gets it, so Triple H quit for her sake. She immediately repays him, but by hitting Hunter low, turning on him and joining the corporation, and we end the month with a big beat down on Helmsley. It's my understanding that you filed papers giving up your right to go to WrestleMania against the WWF champion. I also understand that you plan on appointing a replacement to go to WrestleMania. Well, Vinny, my friend, that just ain't gonna happen as long as the Heartbreak Kid is the commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation. And he still is the commissioner. What's he talking about? Well, Stone Cold and I have been reading over the WWF rulebook. What? Or, or, <laughs> That's not the... The, <laughs> the official one, it's here somewhere. And it says that if the winner of the Royal Rumble 
either is unable or unwilling to go to WrestleMania to fight the champion, then the runner-up gets what? all rights what? and privileges. What? Stone Cold is going to WrestleMania because Mr. McMahon... Well, I guess what I'm telling you is this. Last night, when you filed those papers, you checked yourself out of the main event at WrestleMania, and Stone Cold Steve Austin has been checked in. Vince McMahon comes out with the corporation, looking all smug at his Rumble win, as well he might. Gives Rock the $100,000 from uh, Shane McMahon's trust fund in cash <laughs> as well, which I thought was just a great touch. And again, Shane sold that brilliantly. And everything is all right in corporation, Bill. And of course, there's no way that McMahon is going to face Rock for the world title. Ah, wait just a minute. Here's Austin on the Titantron. He doesn't look very happy. He's on the Titantron. Where is he? Ah, he's in San Antonio, Texas. And we all know what that means. Yes, it is Shawn Michaels. And yes, he's brought the hat. Of course he has. In fact, was he wearing a hat in this one? I can't remember now. Anyway, it's Shawn Michaels anyway. I don't think he was. Okay. Austin was wearing a hat. Austin was wearing a hat. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I must have been on the rule book as well, the Jack Daniels. So, <laughs> Austin is there in San Antonio with Mr. Shawn Michaels. And Michaels, with a bit of logic, tells us this. Now that Vince has waived his own right to have the title shot at WrestleMania by virtue of winning the Royal Rumble, the person who finished second automatically assumes that particular role. So we are getting Austin defend uh, Austin going for the World Wrestling Federation title at WrestleMania all along. Well, you do surprise me. We'll talk about that in a couple of months. But before we get there, Austin laid down the challenge, which has been coming for a very long time. He finally wants Vince McMahon. And he wants him in a cage at the next pay-per-view. And Vince, being Vince, eventually accepted. So, Dan, ever since the stunner in September 1997, which you memorably described as Vince selling as if he were a human sack of potatoes, it's finally come to this. It's been our feud of the year. It was well, so easily our feud of the year in 1998 that it wasn't even funny. And now we are getting Austin versus McMahon in a real bona fide match. Your thoughts? Uh, I'm hyped. Let's put it that way. Um, I don't care what the match is going to be like. I don't care how many bells and whistles they have to have to make it entertaining. It's Austin going against Vince McMahon. And I know there's be some people that think, oh, you can't do this because Vince is not a trained wrestler. He's a manager. It should always be the manager's puppet or client that goes against the baby face. But this has been so good. This has been such a personal blood feud between these two men that they had to have a match. And I am glad that it's happening in the February show because I, I've always maintained I didn't really want to see this at WrestleMania because that felt more like Austin being the title. This feels like this is him going through Vince to get to the title, and that feels poetic to me anyway. But And, and yeah, I am hyped. I am so really hyped for that match. 
Um, and the fact that it is a cage match as well means that it they can definitely have some shenanigans involved. It's not it's not going to be uh, a dud. Let's put it that way. But that I do have serious issues with how we got there in the first place because both men here are trying to one up themselves and how stupid they can be to get through a match stipulation. <laughs> first of all, Vince McMahon has masterminded this grand plan. He guaranteed that Austin has no chance in hell of winning the Royal Rumble match, and he delivered. But ah, uh, fuck it, I'm just going to give up my title shot. That's uh, that would be too easy. I'm too overconfident for that. Why would you do that? <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, and then we get okay. Shawn Michaels, you know, exploits this logic hole and says, since you've now relinquished your shot, Steve Austin gets it. Okay. That would be the most unsatisfactory way of determining number one contender for WrestleMania. So why not have a match for the number one contendership for the World Wrestling Federation title in a cage match, Austin versus McMahon? There we go. But no, it has to be Austin gets it by default and then says, I will put, oh no, I'm going to put it up anyway. You've already got the shot. Why are you putting it up? It's, you've already been outsmarted by this man once the nights before and you're still willing to do this to me this the easy way around this would have been Shawn michaels going either you've checked yourself out of that we're gonna now the vacant title shot is up for grabs against steve austin and vincent mcmahon in a cage match or him actually stripping vince mcmahon off the privileges because of the chicane because of the shenanigans that happened and the fact that he's now the babyface commissioner me this just felt like two more dumb characters somehow managing to get into a match which is again what's we've not had this at all for this entire feud throughout the entire entirety of 1998 and we've had baffling decisions character motives and reasonings to get to a match in that last 20 minute segment than we did throughout the entire 1998 and that does leave a sour taste in my mouth that I really hope this feud isn't going off the rails just when we needed it to hit its crescendo at the right time. Yeah, making Austin look stupid again is oh, setting a worrying trend. I really hope this is the end of it now and they're all sitting down around the table thinking, we've done this twice in successive days. We're taking the risk again? Oh, don't do it. Just don't put yourself in that position. Yeah, I don't like the way they've got there either. But again, much like with as poor as the execution was, you can understand the reasoning behind it, i.e. Vince winning the Rumble. We are at least getting to the Vince-Austin match, which has been coming for a long, long time. Dan, could this have been a Mania match? I know you mentioned it there, but could it have been? It could have been, but I, I don't think it should have been. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone back and forth on this one over the last few days. At first, I thought that, well, they waited so, so long for this. Maybe they could just, just one more month. It's 100% mania level. It's mania main event level. The ultimate feud finally coming to a crescendo at the biggest show of them all. Isn't that what it should always be about? But I thought about it for a couple of days, and I thought, well, A, as an old school fan, I always want to see 
number one babyface versus number one heel for the World Wrestling Federation title at WrestleMania. And as you've kind of intimated there, we need something to sell the February pay-per-view. Because we they some of them have had their moments. You know, we had the great Owen Sean match in 96. We had the final four in 97, which was tremendous. But by and large, they just feel like a bit of a bump in the road. I'm like, oh, do we really need to go through this to get to Mania? So having a match as huge as Austin versus Vince, uh, I'm, I'm interested in that pay-per-view. It's something I want to see. I'm not just running down the weeks to Mania. I can't wait now for the 14th of February to arrive to see how they're going to do this. And it's quite fascinating. I would imagine with the title shot being on the line that Austin is going to win this one. Whether he's just going to go out there and completely destroy Vince Flat in three or four minutes, which I don't think fans would mind too much, or the cage you know, is ascended by the corporation, he has to fend them off. Um, again, it's one of those where I'm not really worried about the match quality. I just cannot wait to see the two of them staring at each other in the ring and waiting for the bell to go. And it's going to be an electric moment. The crowd are going to be amped for it. And I can't wait to see it. In this one, match quality be damned. And I'm glad we finally got there. I hope it doesn't become a series between them. That we've been building up to this one match. You don't need to end the feud there. And for what it's worth, I can see these two feuding again. Cool. Remainder of the year. And if anybody can carry it off, they can as long as we don't have too many more misfires like we did at the Rumble. But let's cap the match now. Let's get it down. One and done. Austin destroys Vince. Who can get his revenge somehow, some way the next day? Or even at Mania itself? Who knows? But I'm really looking forward to this. It feels important. And the Federation, recently, when they've tried to have matches which they built as being titanic struggles, they haven't really come off. Austin Taker at SummerSlam last year is a prime example. But nobody's watching this one for an in-ring classic. They just want to see Austin finally beat the tar out of Vince, which was taken away from them, really, at the Rumble. And if they get it right, I don't think anybody is going to complain. And we're still not done. Here we are on the 31st of January, and we have, Dan, a title change to talk about. The World Wrestling Federation title has changed hands again. Yes, during a show known as Halftime Heat, which took place at halftime, funnily enough, at Super Bowl 33, the match between the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons, which the Broncos won 34-19. Who cares? Apparently. <laughs> there goes half our listenership straight away. <laughs> I'm sure we might have some Broncos fans listening. Anyway. It's called football and you don't use your feet. Uh, don't, don't, don't start that. Don't start that. That's Where's Eric? That's a Eric? I can call him up. You know, he's, he can have all day to defend us. He's eight hours behind us, you know. Yeah. I'm not sure he's a Denver Broncos or Atlanta Falcons fan. But anyway, carry on. Halftime during that match. We had a match between Mankind going for the World Wrestling Federation Championship against The Rock. And this match was aired on the USA Network in an empty arena. Now, the purest among you, and I know lots of you listen, when you hear the words empty arena match, you will think Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler. 
Not what we got here, it is safe to say. This was played up for pure comedy. With Vince McMahon himself on commentary, which I thought was great. Heel Vince McMahon taking us back to 1994 era commentary. A great blast from the past. You had them being thrown into empty chairs. You had them brawling backstage. You had them hitting each other with popcorn. You had Rock answering the phone in the office. And you had Mankind winning the world title, which we'll get to in a second. Now, this match did not take place for me, Dan. It didn't take place for you. It didn't take place for our listeners. It didn't take place for hardcore fans. It was barely even taking place for casual fans. I'm going to let Vince McMahon himself take up the story. Those of you just tuning in might say, what the hell am I watching? What you're watching is history in the making, the first time ever empty arena match for the WWF title here in the World Wrestling Federation. But more than that, you're watching action adventure. That's what the WWF is. Soap opera. It's Roadrunner. Elements of one life to live. It's like Hollywood and Broadway and all points in between. There is nothing quite like the World Wrestling Federation on television. They're the number one ranked television show in all of cable television what the hell am i watching indeed dan this was camped up to the max played for laughs and before we get to mankind winning the world title again do you think this match was successful at what it was trying to be which to my eyes was just pure slapstick to try to win over the millions and millions of non-wrestling fans who would have been seeing this on their screens. What do you think? Oh, I, I don't know. Because it would be completely it, unfair to assess it from a wrestling match point. Yes, it, yeah. I, was, I got halfway through it, and I think the bit where... It was, it was comedy, but it was still quite violent in some ways. I mean, yeah, the yeah. whole, you know, him flaming into the chairs... Probably rolling down the stairs. Like you could still pull it off in a hardcore brawl style match, but then as soon as the as soon as the uh, condiments get involved, then it starts <laughs> it starts getting um too slapstick. And as we saw throughout 1995, when the WWF try and do pure cartoon comedy, family friendly style wrestling, generally they fail. I would say that the physical stuff they did in this match did fail for me. I, I didn't find it funny at all. But I'm probably the wrong audience for that. So it, it's hard for me to to say that definitively this was a terrible idea because this isn't for me. And I don't know whether Super Bowl fans would be enjoying seeing The Rock as an offensive move spray ketchup onto Mankind's shirt. And But uh, look, the characters themselves were probably the funniest things in this match with the rock in particular. He's just got such an amazing comic time in a, in a, in a jock style way where Mick Foley can just do goofy comedy. So it's, it had, they covered both bases. The moments where Vince and the rock are commentating and talking to the monitor. And then all of a sudden you see the socks suddenly rise on the, the <laughs> chairs. That was good. Admit the but as you said, the rock answering the phone in the offices that was good. So all the stuff that was involved in the characters, I think, actually quite worked. And they and 
I would be impressed from an office perspective that these guys were able to, to do this and pull it off really well. But any spots they did, in my opinion, um, came off like a wet fart. Uh, so yeah, Dan, just before I pick back up on this, what did you think of the finish, which was Mankind eventually after taking such a comedy beating, handily finding a forklift truck, and <laughs> that was nice, and putting down tons and tons of weight on the rock's chest and pinning him that way, let alone the obviously post-production camera shot of the forklift descending towards the rock, which was obviously hopeless <laughs> all hell. I don't think we needed that suspension of disbelief. Uh, uh, I don't think so. What do you reckon? I think this is where context need, really does need to be taken out of it. Because if if this was the first time you saw it and you were just watching it for comedy value, and there's a guy with a big bandage around his head climbing on tops of what looked like, you know, milk bottle, you know, milk bottle trucks, carrying a big belt of a forklift, just kind of inching towards the prone, you know, guy who's been knocked out by a sock. It, it's surreal. It is a very surreal finish. I don't think it's necessarily good, but, you know, if, again, from a casual audience, first time watching it, it could work. But if you've watched anything like, you know, a couple of weeks worth of television, then you'll know that this man suffered one of the most horrendous beatings that has ever been subjected to in a wrestling ring. And the fact that he gets his revenge by slowly very and methodically lowering a large crate onto his, his arch nemesis to win back the belt, doesn't feel right so again from i'm not the audience for this like i'm That's trying sure. to i'm trying to kind of no, it's tough for, it's second, tough second guess what other people would like yeah and that's you know i i'm not the per uh, you know i'm i'm saying to me this was this this didn't work because it's not what who i'm i'm not the target audience so i'd love to be able to say put my mind in in into you know football fan sorry sorry NFL fans. <laughs> nice slip there. Yeah. Damn it. Hate myself for that. Um, who who have not watched wrestling before and, and kind of have that, you know, late eighties comedy, comedy value to it and how they would react to it. But that's not, that's not what I've been brought up on. I've been brought up on sure. ECW and, and blood feuds and, and attitude. So for me, this was too slapstick, but for all I know, this went down really well with that crowd. Maybe we'll get to see some of the feedback when uh, the February issues of of the Torch and the, and the Observer come out. But for me personally, it didn't work. But I'm not the audience, so who am I to say? One thing I think we can agree on is that thank goodness they didn't do another version of the Rumble '99 match here. Mm, yes, <laughs> I'd love to have seen how the networks would have reacted to that one. Yeah, I just think they had to just go full out, you know, cheese ball fest. 98% of the people who would have seen this at halftime during the Super Bowl will never watch pro wrestling again in their lives anyway, no matter what was presented before them here. So that 2% who might still be interested, uh, they've seen the these guys hitting each other with foodstuffs and a match ending by a camera descending onto somebody's chest where a forklift used to be. 
it's going to be one of two things. They're going to think it's the most stupid thing they've ever seen in their life, or they're going to be intrigued enough to carry on and maybe tune into the USA Network again the next day and see what they've got. I don't think they're going to win back any old-school wrestling fans for this who have long since left behind the product who hate what Vince did to it 15 years ago. No, those people have gone anyway. But maybe if you're going to get more casual fans into it, and let's face it, the casual fans of today are the hardcore fans of tomorrow. Everybody's got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. And you, you cannot assess this match from any sense or canon of technical merit. I'd be wasting my time even to try. But it, it was just good fun. And these two played up, and Vince as well, played up that good fun to the very max. And I do give them credit, especially after what happened just two weeks before. So, Dan, let's just finish where we started. Mankind is world champion again. <laughs> Makes the decision to do what they did at Royal Rumble even more infuriating. Yeah, just keep it for... Now, he is... I'm 1% chance that he is champion going into WrestleMania, let's face it. So, let him have a decent run with the belt here. Now, forget the whole Rumble 99 thing. I wish they had now. And maybe have him drop it. I don't know drop it to rock at the next pay-per-view, something like that. I don't know. That's, that's probably what is going to happen now because I know they've got a match scheduled. But Hague's a two-time champion, and who would have thought that four weeks ago? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that, guys, is why we're here. Pro wrestling, just when you think you've got a handle on it. Uh, uh, there it goes. And there we go. So that will be the January 99 WWF show at the second attempt. I sincerely hope this one does come out okay in the edit because I'm fucked if I'm doing it again. Dan, thank you very much for joining me. Again, on your month off, everybody. Dragged him in, kicking and screaming to talk about this show. But Dan, thank you very much for joining us. No problem at all, Roy. It's always a pleasure. Where can people find you for musings and, well, I'll say, witterings? Where can they find you? So we are uploading more and more exclusive content to our wrestling 20 years ago pa patreon page uh, you and i did a recent re-watching of the elimination chamber match 2006 so you can get to see our uh, thoughts on that and i am on a couple more of the nxt takeover reviews that we've done live watches re-watches and upcoming re-watches in the future so there's loads of great stuff being uploaded every single month to that patreon page so if you are interested in what i have to say or just want to support the podcast in any way you can to because of the enjoyment insight and also the, all of course the occasional tumbleweed jokes that we provide <laughs> you can have at it we'd love to hit we'd love to hear your feedback and 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 we're all grateful for your support all tumbleweed all the time yes reiterate what dan said there all your support is gratefully appreciated if you want to drop us a dollar on patreon you'll get the shows as soon as they're ready Drop us five, you'll get all the likes of the bonus shows that Dan has talked about there. But of course, if you are happy with just the free content, then we are happy you're listening. Always try and think of the positives as well. We're not turning into, as you put it, cynical old wrestling fans. He says to me after I gave the pay-per-view we were reviewing, two out of ten. But point very much taken, Dan. Just to wrap up everybody, yes, you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook at Wrestling 20 Years. I'm in charge of the Twitter account. Mr. Lacey is there for the Facebooks. You can find me on various message boards too. You can find me at bigelow34.proboards.com, which is run by our friends at Place to Be Nation. You can find me at Scott Keys Blogger Doom. You can also find me at the Advantage Point Facebook page. Shout out to their great podcast too. 
our doors are always open. Just drop us a line and we will take care of the rest. So recording this show on the 10th of February. So I can't really give you a rundown of the January shows because I'm sure you've already heard them now. WCW Volume 2, ECW Volume 3. I'm sure you're probably all getting ready for the February shows. I'm going to be recording February 99, WCW this time next week. And they will all be with you in hopefully about two weeks' time, all ready to roll. But remember our Patreon too, and you can check out the entire archive. If you are new to the show, the best way to do that is via Spotify, everything going back to August 1993. So for the second and final time, because I'm not doing it again, thank you for tuning in to the January 99 WWF show here on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And for me, and from Dan Welling. Daddy-o!